Our scripture reading this morning is taken from several passages from the book of Acts, the Acts of our Lord Jesus Christ through his apostles. And first of all, we'll read from Acts chapter 2, the verses 37 through 47. So Acts chapter 2, and this is after Peter has spoken on the day of Pentecost, and there we read the word of our God as follows, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily to the, those who were being saved. And then we turn to chapter 4. There we read verse 32 to the end of the chapter. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then chapter 9 Verse 36, through 43. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known through all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And then we turn to our text, which is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith so far. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 34, the stanzas 4 and 7. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we will witness the unceasing love and care of the Lord Jesus Christ for us as people as two men are ordained to the office of deacon. Every ordination is very special and should be a highlight for us as congregation. For to be called upon to serve as an office bearer is not some three-year prison sentence, but a high calling and a noble task. And we as congregation are to do everything within our power to encourage them, demonstrating that we are very aware of the beautiful and weighty task the Lord has given them to do. 
According to the word of God and the mandate given at their ordination, deacons are to see to the good progress of the service of love, of charity, in the congregation, to acquaint themselves with existing needs and difficulties, and to exhort the members of Christ's body to show mercy. Further, they are to gather and manage the offerings and to distribute them in Christ's name according to need. So that tells us that the deacons are to set the congregation in motion, to activate you, so that no one lives uncomforted under the pressure of sickness, loneliness, and poverty. They are to set you in motion, and that shouldn't have to be done with a whole lot of poking and prodding. And did you notice from the words of the deacon's mandate that the collecting and dispersal of offerings is not their primary task? The deacon's first task is to promote with word and deed the unity and the communion in the Holy Spirit that the congregation enjoys at the table of the Lord, at the Lord's Supper. And incidentally, Did you know as well that the ministers and deacons have the same title in the Bible? Where do you find that, you might ask? In Acts 6, verse 1 through 7. For the Greek word from which deacon is derived is the word diakonia. And it shows up in verse 1, 2, and 4 and means ministry. So listen again to the verses 1 through 4 with that Greek word inserted. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there rose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily diaconia, daily ministry. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and diaconine minister at tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the diaconia, ministry of the word. So the ministers are ministers, deacons of the word. And deacons are ministers, deacons of mercy. Tune and Mike, you will be ordained to serve in the ministry, in the ministry of mercy. And there is much to be learned regarding your task and what the Holy Spirit communicates to us in our text. The ministry of mercy is fueled by the energy and direction of the Spirit of Christ. And Acts 6 verse 1 through 7 tells us how the office of deacon came about and what Christ intends deacons and all of us to do. And so our theme is as follows, in his care for his flock, the exalted Christ institutes the office of deacon. 
I will look at three things. The necessity for this office, second, the election to this office, and third, the functioning of this office. We read this morning from Acts chapter 2, verse 44, and Acts 4, verse 32. And both these passages relate to us how the communion of saints blossomed and flourished in the early Christian church at Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. Driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with enthusiasm for the Lord, each member sought the good of the other and was willing to do something for a brother or sister in the Lord. They used their gifts and talents for the benefit of fellow members. And as a result, there was joy and there was happiness within the congregation. And this manifested itself very clearly when a number of members experienced financial hardships. A large sum of money was to be collected to help people get through tougher times. And the money was there. Because the church was united in heart and aim, people did not hesitate to sell their possessions and goods and to distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. So shortly after Pentecost, the whole congregation acted like deacons. They ministered to each other's needs, making sure that no one was overlooked. But over time, this became a greater challenge and much more difficult to accomplish. You already notice a shift when you pay close attention to the description of what was going on in Jerusalem church as described in chapter 2 and chapter 4. In chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, we read, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the ministry of mercy was carried out by the congregation. And in chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, we are told that the congregation began to bring their offerings to the apostles. And they did the distributing. We read, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power, mega power and mega grace and what was the result there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need now over a period of time it became apparent that this development had several drawbacks and created a need. Certain widows were being overlooked and were not receiving proper care. 
As we read in verse 1 of our text, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So just as life appeared to be going well in the congregation and numbers were increasing, a complaint arose. Complaint. That sounds pretty polite. But it was the same kind of grumbling and mumbling and murmuring that was so characteristic of Israel's trek from Egypt to the promised land. Now these widows' need was more than a matter of finances. They were being overlooked in the daily distribution, in the daily diaconia. The expression daily ministry covers all the work done to promote the communion of saints. And this is where the complaint of the Hellenists comes in. The Hellenist widows were not experiencing the communion of saints in their daily life. They were not being integrated into the congregation. They had gifts and talents which were not being used within the ministry of the church. Their talents were overlooked. That's the issue. Widows who are women of faith are known in Scripture for their great service to the congregation as a whole. Take, for example, what we read in Acts 9. In the town of Joppa, there was a widow named Tabitha who was full of good works and acts of charity. She was a leading figure among the widows in the church at Joppa and was sadly missed when she died. And when Peter came to town, all the widows stood beside him weeping, showing tunics and other garments that she had made. Tabitha was missed because of her contribution to the daily ministry and because she had helped other widows see their ongoing task in the church now that their husbands had passed away. In Jerusalem, the contribution of the widows was overlooked. And the complaint was coming from Greek-speaking Jews. The church in Jerusalem at the time consisted of Jews. But there were two groups of Jews within the communion of the church. Hebraic and Hellenist Jews. The Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. And the Hellenistic Jews were born and raised in the diaspora in countries outside of Israel. And they spoke Greek, since Greek was the world language. Before their conversion, these Jews met in their own separate synagogue in Jerusalem. And you can imagine the language barrier created some tension within the early Christian church as well. The complaint of the Hellenists is not directed against the apostles, but against the Hebrews. Beloved, this is no small matter. It threatens to tear the fabric of congregational life. This dispute is exposing an unhealthy undercurrent, a divide that pits 
people against each other, where people should be working in unity, in the unity that they have in Christ. Rather than having all things in common, members of the body of Christ create a divide of us versus them. And the apostles see the seriousness of what is going on. And they summon everyone to a congregational meeting of the full number of the disciples. And they conclude that the Hellenist widows have not received proper spiritual support. And their contribution to the church community is indeed being overlooked. And this lack may not be perpetuated. But the apostles themselves do not have the physical or mental ability to take care of this. Presently, the twelve preach the word daily. They govern the affairs of the church, overseeing the doctrine and conduct of the members. They took care of the needs of the poor distributing to those who had need and they were responsible for serving at tables that is for making sure the communion of saints was really functioning but it was impossible for them to do justice to everything they were expected to do and so brothers and sisters it wasn't only the Hellenist widows who were feeling the pinch the preaching of the word was also at stake here. For it shouldn't take second place as the apostles try to make sure everything in the congregation is being looked after properly. Well, how should this problem be resolved? Led by the Holy Spirit, the apostles see the need for a new office. And the twelve, we are told, summoned the full number of the disciples and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The Lord uses this crisis situation in the congregation as an opportunity to expand the offices and to establish the office of deacon. The head of the church opens up the possibility for another office for the protection of the office of the ministry of the word and to encourage unity through the ministry of mercy. And when these things are set in place, it will allow the word of God to grow. The appointment of seven men for the ministry of mercy becomes a requirement for the church of all ages and times and places. After this episode, the office of deacon becomes more defined as men are appointed to serve in all the churches. And this is why Paul in his letter to the Philippians specifically addresses the overseers and deacons and he gives Timothy direction as to what requirements and qualifications a man should meet to serve as a deacon. In Acts 6, the time has come for the establishment of the ministry of mercy. Jesus, as our merciful high priest, 
shows his care for the flock and sees to it that no one suffers under the pressures of loneliness, poverty, or sickness. And that everyone can do their part in the church of Christ. Deacons are to see to it that the lonely, the suffering, the poor, the widows, single members, married without children, married with children, the elderly, mothers and fathers, the children, all are integrated into the congregation as one. People from different racial, social, economic backgrounds are to enjoy the unity and feel the love that is celebrated at the Lord's Supper. So the first verses of Acts 6 point out the need for the office of deacon. But now our attention is directed to the actual election and ordination. Brings us to our second point. The apostles advised the brothers to choose from among them seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And what they said pleased the whole group. The congregation chooses seven men and present them to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands upon them. Now there are several matters to which we should give careful consideration. First of all, the election of the office bearers involves the whole congregation. The twelve summoned the body of disciples to be present. Verse 2. And what the apostles proposed pleased the whole group, and they chose the seven men. An election of an office bearer is a matter involving the entire congregation. So the selection and ordination of the office bearers should be on the hearts and the minds of the whole congregation. Because of what the exalted Lord Jesus is doing through the office of those who are chosen. And did you notice that the men who are chosen are of good repute, full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit? It takes some involvement in congregational life for men to be known as such. And for the congregation to know our leaders as men who are of good repute, full of wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. So the first reason they are chosen is not because they are nice, easy to get along with, or because they are not on the school board, or some other committee, or as a way of getting them involved. No, our selection must be done with due consideration, thought, and prayers. These men should be known as of good repute, wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. And how will you know this? Well, the men that are chosen are to be men who live and breathe the Word of God. This is where they will turn. This is where they will direct those in their charge. They don't have all the answers on the, their own, but they turn to the Word of God with prayer 
and seek the wisdom of the Lord? Well, after the congregation has chosen the seven, they are appointed and ordained by the, by the apostles. They receive this authority from the risen Christ who has appointed them to their office. The laying on of hands was used in the new dispensation to confer a blessing, to commission a person to a new responsibility and to impart spiritual gifts. And all these elements are present at the ordination of the seven. The apostles laid their hands on the heads of the seven deacons as a gesture symbolizing that the Lord will bless them and that he will equip them with what they need to fulfill the duties of their office. Quite often the men who are chosen to one of the offices wonder whether they are really suitable to do the work. You may have thought the same, Tune and Mike. While the laying on of hands shows that the Lord who commissions them with tremendous responsibility will also equip them to do the work required. And so it is too bad that the laying on of hands is a practice that in our circles is restricted to the ordination of ministers. But that's not the only time such assurance of the Spirit's presence is needed, is it? Moving on in our text, we notice that all seven men have Greek names. The whole congregation very wisely selects men from those who raise the complaint on their behalf. But these men will not restrict their work to the Greek-speaking segment of the church. They will care that the body of Christ, or they will take care that the body of Christ functions whether their native language is Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. Of the seven, two are mentioned again in the book of Acts. Stephen and Philip. Stephen becomes a martyr, and Philip goes off to Samaria to preach as an evangelist. And what we are told about these men portrays how richly they are endowed with the Holy Spirit. They are busy with God's Word and well-versed in the Scriptures and are able to proclaim to others the glorious gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the last name mentioned in the group of seven is Nicholas from Antioch. He was of pagan background. He first joined the Jews as a proselyte and then became a Christian. So he is the first office bearer whose upbringing and background was not Jewish but Gentile. Well, do these men accomplish what they were ordained to do? Yes. In our last point, we shall see how this office functioned. For when the office of deacon is instituted, the church begins to grow in grace and love. We read about this in verse 7 where it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
obviously the task of the deacons was functioning well because the church's action resulted in a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit's presence. The apostles could give time to concentrate on the preaching of the gospel and prayer. Internal difficulties and needs were being taken care of by the deacons. And did you notice that verse 7 does not say that the church continued to grow, but the word of God continued to increase. For true growth is measured by our commitment to the word of God. And when those who are called to preach can do their work, the word of God will continue to do its work. In more than one way, the proper functioning of the office of deacon allows for growth. Yes, if the deacons do their work as prescribed by Christ, the congregation will grow in love to each other and will grow in grace and increase in numbers as opportunity is given for the preaching of the Word. People who come to church will see the love of Christ in action. No one is left out or moved to the sidelines and no room is given for an us-versus-them divide. Everyone contributes and is integrated into the whole of congregational life and the work of the Lord Jesus can go on. The resolution of the conflict in the church resulted in a breakthrough in evangelistic power. Now even priests who had been so hostile are responding to the word of God and becoming disciples of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when the deacons are allowed to function in the congregation as they ought, this enables all things to function as they should. It gives more time for ministers to study and to dig out the treasures of the word of the Lord and to feed the flock. It permits the elders to comfort, instruct, and admonish members with the word of God. And in the end, the whole congregation will reap the rewards and be blessed. And in this work, the deacons need your cooperation so that they can do their work effectively. They are not called to do all the work or to try to hold things together. They are to make sure the work of Christ is being done. That we, as brothers and sisters of the Lord, are truly living in communion. Well, let us learn from what the Lord Jesus has taught us in this passage of Scripture and do what He wills in the special offices of deacon, elder, minister, but just as much in the office of all believers so that God the Lord be given all the glory and the work of Christ prosper in what is happening in this church. Amen.